Well, today we're continuing on in our series of messages on devoted, the topic of being devoted and looking at how the early church did that. And we're going to look at how the early church was devoted to one of the most important and empowering areas of their faith, that being their commitment to regular fellowship with one another, being devoted to fellowship, which if you're, you're, you're watching here online, you're here today, uh, you're already participating in this ancient practice of gathering together as believers. No matter if you can, uh, no matter if you speak English or if you don't, if you're from Cuba, um, coming in and just gathering together as believers. Uh, pastor and author Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, the physical presence of other Christians is a source of incomparable joy and strength to the believer. And that is so very true. When we come together, we, just, we, we are encouraged as we visit, as we share with one another. Charles Spurgeon also said, Satan always hates Christian fellowship. It is his policy to keep Christians apart. Anything which can divide saints from one another, he delights in. Since union is strength, he does his best to promote separation. And I would think that probably during uh, COVID, a lot of that was going on, and Satan was having a field day with a lot of uh, our churches. And in Psalm 133, verses 1 and 2, uh, it says, How good and pleasant it is when brothers live together in unity. It is like precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down upon the collar of his robe. So these are just a few examples of how valuable we know fellowship to be in our lives. Just think about the times where you've missed out on church, either by being sick or maybe on vacation, not being able to gather together. Your week just seems to be incomplete, not, not being able to be together. Uh, there's some Sundays we come into the sanctuary. Some Sundays you guys are just talking and talking, and, and that's fine. You guys are just sharing and visiting. That's wonderful. That's part of fellowship. That's part of coming together. But there's great power in gathering together in worship and prayer and communion. And the earliest church communities were absolutely devoted to being together, whether it was in homes or in synagogues or marketplaces. It would seem that nothing would stop them from being together. And there's so much we can learn from their example in this area. So as we get started today, I want to revisit our main text for this series in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And you'll notice that fellowship is the second of the four practices the early church was devoted to. Last Sunday, we covered teaching, and in the upcoming weeks, we'll take a deep dive into prayer as well as communion. And the interesting thing about fellowship is that it's the practice where the other practices happen. When we gather together, we, we teach, we learn. When we pray, we, we come together to pray. When we take communion, we, we take it together. All these things happen in fellowship. And you'll notice that you can do everything on your own except fellowship. <laughs> Go ahead and try it sometime. Try to have fellowship with yourself. <clears throat> Me, myself, and I had a great time. But by, by nature, 
by nature, you cannot gather with others if you're by yourself. A fellowship is a communal exercise with a common focus. So what is fellowship then anyway? What is it? We have our fellowship hall, our fourth Sunday fellowship meals that happen, our fellowship time after the church service, and I trust that after we're done here, we can go on downstairs and have a wonderful time of fellowship. But what exactly is fellowship? What does it mean? Is, it, is fellowship a potluck dinner? It could be. Is fellowship a Sunday school class? It could be. Is fellowship a worship service? It definitely could be. Is fellowship becoming a member and joining the church? It could be. All these things, it could be. The dictionary defines fellowship as companionship, friendly association, mutual sharing as of experiences, of activities, of interests, a group of people with the same interests, a brotherhood. That's what the dictionary, how the dictionary defines a, a, a fellowship. And the word fellowship comes from the Greek word koinonia. You've probably heard that before. Koinonia, though, can be defined as holding something in common. Holding something in common. So if you take those two, and specifically the, the word koinonia is used 20 times in the New Testament, speaking about coming together and, 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 and having something in common. And if you take those two definitions from the dictionary and that, you get fellowship. Biblical fellowship. <clears throat> and what is it exactly that we hold in common as Christian fellowship? We hold in common Jesus. Relationship with Him. It does not matter. When you, when you come together with another Christian, you sense that. You sense we've got something in common. They can be from another denomination. They can be from a different country. They can be from all of... But when you come together and you just... They are Christians. You, are, you have a... Uh, a relationship with Jesus, you sense that. And that's something in common, and it, it just it crosses all types of barriers and borders. And amazingly, despite all our differences, when we hold Jesus in common with others, we experience this deep abiding community that wouldn't be accomplished anywhere else. Anywhere else. <clears throat> Excuse me. All of you who are here today have a lot of differences between each other. There are some differences here that you, if outside of, you know, if, if no one had Jesus as a common ground, how often or how, how likely would you be meeting with each other? Maybe not so much with the differences that you have, but because you have the common ground of Jesus, we have fellowship with one another. Raul is here today, and he can't speak much English at all, but the commonality of having Jesus, there's Fellowship. I remember heading on down to Mexico with a number of uh, number of trips uh, with the youth group here at uh, Happy Valley as well as Labish Center. And uh, the first trip we took down to Mexico at Labish Center with the youth group, we knew we knew no Spanish. We we had no idea. And we went on down there, and we had to communicate <laughs> people there. But those people that we were communicating with, we still felt fellowship with because they knew Jesus. We knew Jesus. We didn't know how to communicate very well with each other, but we had that commonality. And you can sense that, again, with, with people next to you, even though there, is, there are those differences. And you, you might not have much in common, but you have Jesus in common. That's what brings us together. 
And the, the world would say that we are incompatible according to the differences some of us have with one another. But they fail to take into consideration, again, how we share the common bond in Christ. There is amazing diversity in the fellowship of Christ. If you go to a church and you look around, and you're thinking, whoa, how are these people coming together? How does this work? Um, but but uh, the amazing unity, though, can be found through Jesus. In Romans chapter 12, verses 4 and 5, it says, Just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We are one body in Christ. We have all these differences, but we have the common focus and a common goal and, and believe me when I say that it takes every single one of us to accomplish anything around here. It does. It takes every one of us. We need what God has given you as a gifting, uh, spiritual gift, whatever it might be, a talent. Each one of you can contribute. And as the body of Christ that here at Happy Valley, we move forward when everyone does their part as God directs them. Listen to this explanation from an online article uh, written by John Bloom. He says, your body is unity in diversity incarnate. Your body is unity in diversity incarnate. The one you is comprised of an almost incomprehensible number of unique parts that all function together. And every member of your body, strong or weak, prominent or obscure, is necessary. You would be overwhelmed if you would see a comprehensive list of what all the diverse parts of you do to make it possible for you to move across a room or teach a class or eat a meal or play catch with your son or dance to a piece of music. You are one body, but it takes every individual member of your body working together to make it possible for you to do what you do every day. Think about it, what you did just already today. Getting here, maybe getting out of bed, um, all these things, just the simple functions of your body moving. Me moving my arms right now, <laughs> that's the, the functions there, and how that works. My body is doing it, and every part is working. Now, you, the thing about this is that uh, there are things our body does every day that go unnoticed until one part doesn't want to work anymore, right? Then you notice it. You get up in the morning, you get out of bed, and you go, oh, okay. <laughs> or or you know, whatever, whatever it is that might be going on for you that day. Um, I, I can remember um, before my hip replacement surgery, my hip reminded me so many times that it wasn't going to do its job, <laughs> and I had to get along with that. Um, you're probably going through some things too as well, where your body is kind of, okay, this part isn't working very well, or this doesn't want to do this anymore, or there's a lot of pain here, something's going on. And so your body is trying to accommodate with that because the other parts of your body aren't working like they should. It happens. But when they are working like they should, your body does mundane things in amazing ways. We don't notice it. Did you notice you just breathed in and out probably about 10 times during while I was talking right now? Did you know you blinked probably five times? <laughs> it's just those things that happen. They, they just work. They just do those things. What we accomplish as a church is only possible when we, are, when we as a fellowship are committed to gathering together, learning together, praying together, and ministering together. 
Simply put, we are better together, and that's the way God designed it. We need each other. So, let's keep getting together. Let's do this. The fellowship of Christ is so incredibly powerful that the enemy of faith is so firmly set against it. He does not want us to be together. He does not want us to gather. Earlier I read a quote from Charles Spurgeon, who in part said, Satan always hates Christian fellowship. It is his policy to keep Christians apart. If this is indeed true, that there is an enemy set against our being together, then don't you think it's worth asking what he's so afraid of? What's he so afraid of of us coming together? What's that all about? So instead of trying to guilt guilt all of us into being together, I'd much rather focus on the positives. Realities like we're truly better together. We need each other. Or as Jesus says in Matthew 18, verse 20, where two or three gather in my name, there am I with them. A unified church is a powerful church. And so at the end of the day, there's great power in our being together. And for the early church, it meant incredible growth as the light of the gospel spread. In Acts chapter 2, verses 46 and 47, it says, Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. I can only imagine in these early settings there was an excitement and a joy among the believers as God was was adding to their numbers daily. We just have just a a small sense of that when we got out of COVID, we started meeting, we had about 20 to 30 people coming back. Now, we we had restrictions. We couldn't have any more, more than that. When those restrictions were lifted, we were able to come together and more people came. And those numbers keep, to, keep increasing slowly, and we're up to between 45 to 50 people coming to church on a Sunday. It's exciting to see that happen. It's exciting to see those things go on. And not, not that uh, more people in bigger churches is the end goal, but rather that the truth of the gospel would be shared with as many people as possible as often as possible. It's why the writer of Hebrews encouraged people to spur one another on. In Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25, let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. We need encouragement. We need each other. We need to be spurred on from time to time. We need that accountability when we come together. We are better together. And frankly, when we isolate ourselves and try to do things on our own, we become a prime target for the enemy of our souls. Because that's what he's looking to do. Separate us out from the rest of us and be able to work on us that way. There's a very interesting passage in 1 Peter chapter 5. It talks about the strategy of the enemy plans that He has for us and and how He's getting to us. In fact, the passage gives us some insight into the power of fellowship and the danger of of going it alone. We can't be going on our own. We we need each other. We need to come in together. In 1 Peter 5, verses 8 and 9, says, Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him standing firm in the faith, because you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of sufferings. 
So first thing we can see here and some insight into this, first off, we have to have a herd mentality. <laughs> herd mentality in a positive way. We need to be together. Notice how the passage says the enemy prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Not some group, not some church, but someone, some individual. Lions are strong, but they also know they have a much better chance of a meal when they can get an individual cut off and apart from the herd. Get them off, send, uh, away from others, and then they can go ahead and wear them down. Lions know, like the enemy knows, that it's far more productive to attack one than it is to attack an entire herd. Divide and conquer. Think about, uh, think about that with me for a moment, though. The enemy is looking for someone to devour, not some group. And there is strength in the herd, in the group, in the church. And it can be dangerous to forego the community in favor of your own isolated path. If you chose to do it on your own, I encourage you, get back together. We need each other. If for anything, protection in numbers <laughs> and accountability and guidance and encouragement. Secondly, remember also too, you're not alone. You're not alone. Even though you might want to be alone, you're not alone. Notice how Peter says we should respond to the enemy's tricks. He says we should resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that your brothers throughout the world, the family of believers, are undergoing the same kind of sufferings. So resist him? Yes, definitely. Stand firm in the faith? Yes, most, most definitely. But also, remember the family of faith. You're not alone. You're not alone. You're not alone in the battle. Or rather, there's a whole worldwide church experiencing similar suffering and pain as you. All around us, we have other bodies of Christ, bodies of churches that, that are trying to glorify God and, and do what they can to reach a community. We're one of those. And if you get discouraged and you think, well, what can we do? Well, there are others in the community as well, too. And we're all looking to try to move forward and let people know about Jesus and bring the hope that He can offer to them. If you are feeling alone these days, isolated, and maybe you haven't been able to join us as much as, as a church body, I encourage you, get back with us. Get back with us because there's, there's, there's uh, encouragement in numbers. There's not only encouragement, but also, too, there's an accountability. And when we come together, we can, we can help each other in some way. We don't, know what, we don't know what's going on if we don't see you. We don't connect with you in some way. And my encouragement is, too, and you'll hear it later on down here in the message, is that if you haven't seen someone lately here with us today and you know that they are part of our church family, contact them. There's a directory. You've got one. And maybe you can give them a phone call or send a letter, text message or an email, whatever. Just to let them know, hey, I'm thinking of you. Miss you. Hope to see you next Sunday. Or maybe we can do lunch, <laughs> whatever it might be. We need each other. We need to encourage one another as well, too. And we need to help and let them know that they're not alone as well. Remember Elijah, Old Testament? 
after his battle with the prophets of Baal. It's found in 1 Kings chapter 18 and 19. <clears throat> Elijah thought he was the only person left who was still true to God. He had seen both the king's court and the priesthood become corrupt. And after experiencing a great victory on Mount Carmel, he had to run for his life. So lonely and, and discouraged, he forgot that others had remained faithful during the nation's wickedness. Be assured that even if you don't know who they are, others are faithfully obeying God and fulfilling their duties. There are others around us. They're going through issues and situations as well. You're not alone in this at all. But the enemy wants to get us alone or get us thinking we're alone. But Peter wants us to remember we are not alone. We're part of a much bigger family, a fellowship of, of a, uh, with a common focus and a common bond. And if what I said is an encouragement enough to seek fellowship and, and, make, and be devoted to that, let me share three more benefits of fellowship with you. Maybe that will push you over the edge. <laughs> Some benefits of fellowship. First of all, fellowship builds friendships builds friendships. The early church really was a close-knit group. They were all together and had everything in common. And the reason that the early church had such good relationships was because of their commitment to Jesus and to each other. Jesus said this about friendship. He said, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. So if you want to build good friendships in the church, then you need to get involved with the things in the church. If you feel like you just can't quite connect, have you done all you could to get involved with the different activities and stuff that we're offering here? And if you think we, maybe there's some things we should offer and we're not, talk to me. Let's talk about that. What can we do? But you can't expect good relationships to be built if you're not fellowshipping with other Christians. Fellowship builds friendships, but it takes time. Be patient. It takes time. It takes energy and effort as well, too. Fellowship also builds unity. Fellowship builds unity. And we talked about this already, but Paul wrote it in Ephesians 4. He said, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. And if the Lord is that interested in the unity of the church, then we should be interested in it as well. We are called to keep it or maintain that unity of the church. Make every effort means being zealous. It suggests that we allow nothing to hinder us from striving to secure the, the unity of the church. It speaks of a holy zeal that demands constant attention. Have you ever played that game, Whack-A-Mole? <laughs> you have this big old thing with a pad, you handle big pad, and, you, and big old game there, and there's like a whole bunch of different holes, and you, you got to make sure that if you see uh, one of those little creatures pop up, you, you whack it, and you get points for it. If you've never played that game, it gets really chaotic at times, but it keeps on going, it keeps on going. That's being zealous, making sure and being on watch for it, and, and, and whack the things as they come through. That's making every effort. <laughs> That's being zealous in that game. We need to be zealous. We need to make every effort to keep the unity. And keep means to guard, 
Keep means to guard it. And notice that it does not say create. We're not supposed to create the unity. We cannot manufacture unity within the church. We cannot fake unity within the church. We can only protect or guard the unity we already have. And Paul calls it the unity of the Spirit. And this phrase reminds us that the unity, the agreement, the common ground within the church is not the product of our efforts to make unity. This agreement, this common ground is produced within us by the Spirit of God. And that's why it's so important that we follow, try to, try to work through and into fruits of the Spirit. And as we connect with that, we connect with the Holy Spirit in that way, and He guides us and directs us and leads us. And as we all do that, we move in unity, move as one. But this agreement, though, produced by, uh, by the Holy Spirit in us, and this fellowship builds unity. It, it did in the early church, and it does now these days as well. Another thing that fellowship does is it builds God's kingdom. Builds God's kingdom. Notice the last phrase from Acts 2, verse 47. It says, And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Our fellowship, the, the, the relationship we have with one another and with Jesus is a witness to the world. The early church was committed to Jesus and to one another, and, and, and the world saw it. And when we regularly meet together to worship God and fellowship with one another, we are, 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 we are witness to the world, letting them know what Jesus has done for us, how He's changed lives. Jesus said, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So we are to love God and love people. Now, Acts chapter 2, verse 42 tells us that the early Christians were devoted to the fellowship. And then what happened? What happened next? The most significant outgrowth of their devotion to the fellowship was a sense of mission and the joy of seeing people come to Jesus. When we're all devoted to the fellowship, we have a firmer foundation for what God wants to do, not just in us, but through us. Now, it would be easy enough today to say something like, uh, well, there you have it. Uh, fellowship is important, so let's all commit to being together as much as possible. All right, bye. <laughs> See you later. But I think we all know that saying something like that falls short. The truth is our fellowship is powerful. Koinonia is an ancient practice around a common bond. And for Christians, Jesus is the bond between us, and He can some, somehow bring all of our diversity together in a beautiful, powerful way. And somehow, in Him, we are so much better together. So today, I want to leave us with a couple of thoughts about fellowship. First of all, if if having regular fellowship with other believers isn't a part of your life, I'd encourage you to take time this week to ask, your, ask yourself why. Why isn't it part of your life? And if through that process you're able to identify a couple of key barriers, then I'd suggest doing what you can to remove or redeem those barriers for the sake of fellowship with others. If there's something between you and another person, pray that God will help you be able to Remove that barrier, whatever it might be. Maybe words were said. Maybe your actions were, were, were done. And just kind of turned you off to be able to be with that person. Ask God to help you. A second, 
if you are someone, if you or someone you know has been isolating themselves lately, please either ask for help or contact them and ask how they're doing. I mentioned that already. We need to look around and see who's here on Sundays. Who's here during Sunday schools? Who's here during those times of, of senior luncheons? And if they're not, if someone's missing that you notice, contact them. Let them know they're missed. Let them know that sure enjoy being able to maybe sit with them next time or be with them. Maybe it's outside of the church and you can just connect with them that way as well. That you're missing them. Maybe you can take them a meal or meet them for coffee. And if you're here today and you've been carving out your own lonely path, let us know. Don't go it, don't, don't go it alone. It doesn't work that way. It doesn't work well <laughs> that way. But we'd love to have a meal with you and hear what's been going on in your life. And that's why we have the fourth Sunday fellowship meals that happen. And after service, we head on downstairs and we have a meal together, potluck style. It's just to be able to come together and find out how each other's doing. Food, food is, is a great way of doing that. So if you are doing, have been doing it on your own, trying to live this Christian life on your own, or maybe been isolated for whatever reasons it might be. You, you've been with us before, you've been in fellowship before, but maybe it's kind of, you, you, you found yourself away and get back to it, reconnect. And we as a church body should also um, in, be inviting in that way as well too. And finally, let's commit to praying for fellowship. Let's pray for fellowship. Let's pray not only for our community, but for the believers all around us who are gathering together. Happy Valley Baptist Church down the road over here. We got our Valley View Church over here off of Sunnyside Road. Sunnyside Foursquare Church down the road on Sundays. We've got a lot of churches all around. We need to be praying for one another. We're not the only ones trying to go and doing this. We're not the only ones trying to reach our community for the Lord. We need to come together and be praying for one another as well. Pray for strength. Pray for unity. Pray for protection and empowerment. Pray that others would be added to their fellowship who need to hear the gospel. So let's be devoted to fellowship since we are so much better together than we are. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for this time together and thank you, Lord, for opening our eyes up to the importance of fellowship. And Lord, I pray that you'd please forgive us for the ways we've neglected the fellowship. And Lord, if you're, you're tapping us on the shoulder about that, I pray that we'd respond in obedience and realize that there's some work to be done, that we need to commit over to you, that we need to have help in this area, connecting with one another. But help us, Lord, to move beyond the simple offenses with each other, Keep us, from, keep us from, from being together. And I pray, Lord, that you'd give us a renewed desire to live our faith in you, centered upon you, and that we would be ready to be used by you to reach our communities for you as well. So, Lord, as we come together, if you've spoken to our hearts in some way where we need to respond Help us to do that. 
Help us to be honest before you. Because fellowship is so important for our church family. So whatever it is, Lord, I pray that we would respond in obedience. Maybe even have a little time of prayer with you right now. And if anybody needs to come to the altar, they can come and pray there. Whatever the case, Lord, I pray that you'd meet us right where we're at. And help us, Lord, to be open to what you have for us in the area of fellowship. We love you, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen.